Welcome to Equinox, where Rob and I are striking the balance between the light and the dark. This is episode 37. My name is Joseph Darnell, and I'm joined by the good doctor. Hello, Rob. Hello, Joe. How are you doing this fine evening? Oh, having a great time. I'm actually uh, visiting my family in South Florida, so I've been out in the wild. I was in, um, not Everglades, what's that place called? I was in Big Cypress uh, National Preserve. Uh, I did some filming there. Oh, lovely. And today I went to a place called uh, Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary, oh. which is one of my favorite places. But they, they skanked me. I was, I was miffed. Oh, no. They didn't like your presence for videography? Well, no, I actually I asked. And they said, sure. Okay, no problem. But um, they, because of coronavirus, they, they have everything divided up into two-hour windows. There's only three two-hour windows, and you can pick one. So I said, all right, I need light. I don't want to be there at noon. So I said, one to three o'clock, and they shut at three. I really, really have rather been there at five. But Yeah, it'd be much better lighting. Yeah. yeah. But I, you know, I pick what I pick, and it was in the, I was going to be in a swamp, so it was going to be trees, and it'd be kind of dark, and I, I should, should have been okay. And it's maybe a mile and a half or two mile boardwalk through this beautiful area. I just, I just love it. And I hoofed it. I said, I went really fast, which meant I got really sweaty, which is really dumb because then I'm all sweaty to try to film. Oh, no. But I wanted to look at the whole thing and pick my favorite spot. All right. So I made the whole thing, went through every little side trail in 45 minutes. And I get back to the visitor center. And it's, it's one way. So you can't go backwards because of coronavirus. I get to the visitor center and they had chained off the entrance. Oh, uh, what time was that? Maybe around an hour in or less? I was 45 minutes in. Mm. Had plenty of time to film a 10 minute, 15 minute episode. So at approximately 1.45, you were ready to go back in and there was nobody there at the chained entrance? No, it was chained because all the visitors who signed up had already shown up. Oh, right. I went inside and I said, hey, um, you know... I know I can't go backwards, but I really wanted to do a video at this one place and I can't go backwards past all the other people. And you got the chain up and like, sorry. Oh, brother. Like, can't I just jump over the chain and go to the place? Oh, no, we've already got the Rangers behind everywhere and it's sweeping through to make sure no one's left behind. So everyone's done by three. Oh, I see. <laughs> Jeez. So I, walked, I did walk backwards and I walked past some people. I didn't get to the, where I wanted to go because it would have been a long walk. And I went to a very suboptimal place and I filmed it there. I just wasn't in a very good mood. Mm, yeah and then i left and on the way back i saw a, a sign for a park i'd never seen before i said oh i'm gonna drive down there so i went down this very straight florida road that turned into a very straight dirt road and after several miles i finally got to a, a nature area so oh this is nice i had a boardwalk and cypress trees and i looked on the map i'm actually at the bottom left corner of the uh the corkscrew preserve but there's no guards and there's no entry fee and it's like shoot thanks a lot so i just walked in there and i filmed it again <laughs> that's great suckers earlier this season we were up in the north georgia country where there's apple country you got the apple orchards uh you went to mercier we did but i used maps for directions and this had not happened to us before i don't know the roadways by heart but i've been up there for several years now this time, it takes me through this neighborhood, and then there's a driveway, and it's a beautiful driveway, <laughs> and we get on it and start going up the side of this rolling hill, and we're like, wait a minute, this is not the, it says we're about there, and there's a house on the left, and it's like, what? And, and, and I realized I'm actually like in a service entrance on the back side of the entire orchard. <gasps> oh, wow. And it's not got a gate or nothing. And and I could have gone into the back of the orchard and 
gone anywhere. <laughs> Pick some apples. <laughs> but kind of like your situation too, they actually had the apple picking in the orchard closed for the season. Yeah. So all you could do is you could go inside and buy things in store. And I, I felt like, well, Ben, we might as well go back out to the back entrance we found. <laughs> but it didn't. I was working at the uh, EPD of Georgia. So the uh, Environmental Protection Division downtown in Atlanta when I was in college. And we went all over the state looking at streams and rivers and doing chemical and, and uh, animal studies. And I was up, up on like the North Georgia line, Tennessee, North Carolina. I don't remember which line it was. Way up North Georgia with my boss. And we looking at this stream. So, okay, we have to go over here. And it was only like five miles on the map. And there was a line on the map. So we got on this road and it turns into a forest road and we're going over this mountain and we come to a gate that's locked. <laughs> and when we were following a road on the official state of Georgia map, oh, and so we no. had, it was a, about a two hour drive to go around, to go back down the mountain around down South. Oh. <laughs> it was so funny, <laughs> but you know, it was the official state of Georgia map and there was a road that no one could drive on, on the map. <laughs> what speaking of florida there was this one time i was vacationing and my wife and i were on uh directions you know using gps and this was in the days when you were using a dedicated gps device yeah and we i don't know the area so don't ask but we're going through a forest beautiful forest Something about Georgia trees and forests and woods is that they're pretty dense. So you can't see through clearings unless it's winter and all the leaves are dead. But it, a lot of the time of the year in Florida, there's very clear forests. And, and so it's just different to be able to see out in the distance as you're driving past. So I didn't mind the drive at all. It's flat. Yeah. And that's different from Georgia. We got rolling hills that would be like Ireland here if we had less trees. And in Florida, got this straight road. I mean, it is so straight. Yep. It's nerve wracking to maintain the steering wheel. And we're going for like 45 minutes. And we get to the end of the street or something like that. This happened at least eight years ago. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but we realized the GPS tells us to make a U-turn. And we're like, what? Why? <laughs> and apparently, it was just a glitch in the directions. And it wanted us to take this way so that we could come to the end of the road and then do a U-turn so we could go back the other direction. <laughs> and, it, and it was like next to nothing Sucker. nothing for 45 minutes on the street oh oh at any time yeah. you could have made a u-turn on the road yes <laughs> yes yes uh programs machines <laughs> they've they've really made major inroads improvements they have <sighs> but there's still some significant uh annoying spots about them mm, yeah they'll get there I was trying to tell my phone earlier today, start directions home. That's exactly what I said. And my phone responds by pulling up the, the map and directions, but it won't start it. Uh, the button is right there, but it won't start. So I'm like, okay, well, I told you to start. So I tap the button and it seems to activate something. 
and it like switches to a bird's eye view and it, it zooms out a little bit from the map and I can see my destination and where I'm at. And I'm driving down the road for a mile and I realize it didn't start the directions at all. W- what is it doing? Like it's just giving me a bird's eye view of the map. What, why are you doing this? And there's no button on the screen anymore. That happens sometimes mm. when I go biking or running. You know, I use my my little app on my phone to chart everything, and I'll start it, and it won't know that I've started. And I'll get somewhere, and, I, and you know, half an hour down the road, and I'll look where. How far have I gone? Oh, I haven't moved at all. <laughs> like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so forget about logging. You know, data if if it doesn't record it. Mm. Well, if that sounds difficult, it kind of reminds me of. Today's discussion, our main topic, imagine trying to get around the solar system, how difficult that must be using GPS tracking. You know, it'd it'd be very difficult, I imagine. Well, we will be doing it one day. Mm. So let's get into the main topic. Since we were talking about planets outside our solar system last time, we wanted to talk about those inside the solar system. Do you want to begin from the... First question, are we going to begin nearest the sun and work our way out, or are we going to start at the outskirts and work our way in? Um, honestly, I've been thinking about this, and I have no plan. Whatever comes out of our mouths, we'll talk about. We can go in and out if you want to. Okay. You might have, we might have to start with the sun first, honestly. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe. I, I like that. Let's start with the sun, because it's sort of like the foundation. It's not the thing itself but it's definitely what we're building on. All right, so mysteries of the solar system. Things that are bizarre, that make no sense, and that we don't necessarily have a scientific answer. All right, the sun. Why is the sun so stable? When you say stable, you mean it's just very different from your average stars, right? Your average star of this class, the sun throws out less solar flares than just about any other star we know of. And would we just think that because we're close to the sun, so we're, our observation of the sun is better than it is of other stars? No. Or do we really know that? It's, it's pretty conclusive. I, I think we have a pretty good idea. At least any star that's within you know, X number of light years away, which is a lot of stars, that we can um, know a lot about their surface. In fact, there, there are people who are surface imaging stars using radio telescopes and things like that. Hmm. Our, our star is weird. Why is our star so weird? That's the first big mystery. The second mystery is, how does a star form? So getting started? Yeah, how do you get started? Because if you start with a cloud of gas, clouds of gas disperse. They don't collapse upon themselves. If you went out in space and you breathe the air out of your lungs, you would, oh, your, your, the air in your breath wouldn't condense. It would spread out forever across space. There's none of of gravitational force in a cloud of gas for self-attraction. So, Hmm. of course, you know, these things, there are proposed solutions to these problems. And one of the answers is, oh, well, if you had a supernova nearby a cloud of gas, the resulting explosion would compress the gas to allow stars to form. All right, that might be possibly true, except where does a supernova come from? That's a star. Oh, snap. That's yeah, a pretty you can't good have, point. You can't have an infinite regression. And honestly, it's a mystery. Why, why on earth would, would clouds of gas collapse? Now, granted, if you had enough mass in one place, it would collapse. This is true. But getting it there, that's the question. And now you're talking about every star in the whole universe is a mystery. Cool, huh? Oh, it really is. In particular, that... 
I think a lot of people using the Big Bang model think it's pretty straightforward. And then, yes. and then what I've heard over the years is that there have been observers that have found an area of space where there are some new stars being formed. Yeah, there are. And I've just taken for granted that that's what's happening. Or things that look like they're forming, yeah. Okay, so, so if that's happening, then how long is it taking? Are we seeing something happening at a r- rapid pace? Or it, when a star is forming, it's really something that is taking hundreds of years or who knows what? That, that might be a great uh, episode for a future episode. Oh, okay. Uh, Big Bang Theory, uh, Galaxy Formation Theory. Um, some of the weird things happening there because there there's some significant issues with Big Bang theory and lots of of uh, not philosophers, lots of theoreticians know this. In fact, we listed them in Evolution's Achilles heels on purpose, but there are even more that we didn't list that have been realized since. So let's let's table that one because Big Bang goes in a lot of directions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Shall we take one step out? Oh yeah, let's travel to Mercury. Mercury. Where did it get the name? Is it really just named after the gods? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mercury, the winged, wing-footed god, and Mercury moves real fast, so you know he's the wing-footed god. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought that was Goodyear, but that's a tire store. I don't know why they didn't call it Mercury. <laughs> I uh, I think there's a Greek and a Roman god with same wing feet. Ah, okay. That's what yeah. I said. Okay. Why does Mercury have a magnetic field? It, it, does it have to do with size plus? Uh, well, small. I mean, I want to say it has something to do with, well, small, yes, but it still has gravitational force, right? Yeah. Like compared yeah, yeah. to asteroid or yeah, you know, even a satellite. Yeah, it's an asteroid, but it's still very small. Does it have more to do with the sun? No. Oh, okay. No, it, 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 this is an unresolved mystery. Oh, okay. We don't even oh. quite know what causes the magnetic field on Earth. We do know the maximum strength you can make an iron magnet. And we also know that iron magnets decay over time. So given Mercury at maximum, if it is billions of years old, it should have no magnetic field. Period. Okay. Huh. Now the Earth should not have a magnetic field either, but we don't have a solid core. So the theory, which is all theory, is it's called the dynamo theory that um, uh, rotating, sloshing around uh, fluids that are high in iron are causing the magnetic field of Earth. Now, how come the energy doesn't dissipate over time? That's all, you know, theoreticians struggling with this stuff. But forget Earth's magnetic field. Mercury should not have one if it's as old as people claim. Mm, okay. But we first detected it, I think, in the 70s with the satellite. And then Russell Humphreys, um, you know, friend of CMI, he, uh, he made a prediction. He goes, okay, well, if it has a magnetic field, then that magnetic field should be decaying. It should be decaying at a certain rate. And he said, here's what the magnetic field will be like in the future. And the next time we measured the magnetic field with a different satellite, we realized that Russell Humphreys had nailed it. Oh, interesting. Hmm. And so, yeah, it does a magnetic field. And yes, it's decaying, just like Earth's magnetic field is decaying. But without a dynamo, there's no reason to think that, that Mercury has a liquid core. It should not. It's too small. It, it, it has to be that Mercury is not as old as some people think. 
Now, maybe someone will think of some other idea scientifically to explain that. Fine. But right now, that's, that's, that's a, uh, right now, there's a check mark for our side. So when you say not as old, uh, then in general, whatever the age is of the planets in the solar system, don't people usually think that they're all about the same age or is, am I way off target? Yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. They all formed about the same time. Yeah. Okay. Right, you know, I wrote a short story about Mercury. Oh, did it's you? called 88 Days. It was, it was actually a fun story. I don't know that if anyone likes it except me, but it was a fun story. It was like, what would it be like <laughs> to be the first man mission to Mercury? Oh, nice. Oh. So I had astronauts landing on the dark side of Mercury just after sunset. They start drilling a hole and they get all finished. And right before the sun is about to rise again, which they have to get off of Mercury before the sun rises or everyone dies. It's just too hot. They get in their spaceship and it's broken. They can't get off the surface. And so they know that another crew is going to land and continue the drilling 88 days later when the sun sets. What do they do? Well, they decide to run. You can run around Mercury. (laughs) You only have to move it two miles an hour. Oh, yeah. And if you can make it all the way around and get back to your starting place, when the other guys arrive, maybe they can save you. So that's my short story. I would love that to be a movie someday. That'd be a cool movie. Yeah. It could be a good plot for a show. But you know what Facebook just did? What? They deleted everyone's notes. Oh, and this is something you had on Facebook? I had all my stories and some of my ideas as notes on Facebook, and they're all deleted. Oh, and I've got them no. saved on my hard drive. But still, what a pain in the oh, neck. Yeah. I wonder who has lost important things that they had on Facebook and was assuming that they were going to stay there. Ouch. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. What's next after Mercury? Venus. Venus, Earth's twin. Now, when you say Earth's twin... I've seen different colorized pictures of Venus. Is it yellow? I'm assuming it's yellow because that seems to be the most common. The sulfuric acid clouds would tend to make a a tinge in the color. Yeah. No, Earth's twin in size. Yeah. Yeah. Has almost the same gravity. And it's it's about the same distance from the sun. It's, It's not that far away from us. I mean, it is, but it's not that far. Mars is a lot farther. I said that last episode. Mars is a lot farther. Okay. The weird thing about Venus is that it rotates backwards. Compared to most all the other planets in the solar system or different immediately from... On Venus, the sun rises in the west. Yeah. Hmm. And that's weird because if we started from... If our our solar system and all the planets coalesced out of a swirling gas cloud, you kind of would think that all the rotational forces would be operating in the same direction. Right. And it would, if it was produced by like slinging out of the same cloud as the sun, plus yeah. the rest of the solar system. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's just, that's just, that's the most mysterious thing about Venus that I could think of. There might be others. That's pretty high up there. I think so. NASA has a really interesting concept for exploring and colonizing Venus. You can't land on the surface, you'll die. There's nothing we can ever, we can never land on the surface. But at 100 miles in altitude, you're at one Earth atmosphere of pressure. With one Earth's amount of oxygen, you're above the sulfuric acid clouds, and it's about 1G. You could have an airship flying around in the atmosphere of Venus, and it's extremely Earth-like. What a cool concept. Oh yeah, that is very interesting. I don't know how you would get to Venus and stop before you hit the surface if you're trying to land. Oh, And I don't know how you would get back off again without being in a rocket, being able to, you know, you can't, rockets are heavy. You can't have a rocket on an airship. 
but there maybe there's a way to get in and out of the atmosphere of Venus without actually touching the ground. And then you can have like a vacation on Venus. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) If we could figure out how to have a floating clubhouse like that on planet Earth first, that might be a good start. That would be a good start, yeah. Man, when they do airships again, I am so getting on an airship. I want to tour Europe from the air. Oh, I can't wait. I don't know why. Well, I know why, because the Hindenburg blew up and everyone's afraid. But you know what? The Titanic sank and people still go on cruise ships today. (laughs) So I'm looking for the future airship travel. I can't wait. That does sound good. I would do it. Yeah, I'd be up for that. All right. So what's next? Earth. Planet Earth. Let's skip Earth. We already know how Earth is weird, right? Yeah. What mysteries are there? We know everything. All right. So what's after Earth? Mars. No. No? Ceres. Ceres? Help me here. I don't remember this in science class. The asteroid belt. Well, yeah, but I thought we were well, talking no, planets. No, 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 no. Bode's Law, baby. Mm-hmm. Bode's Law. Now, it's not really a law, but Bode, uh, 1700s, realized that if the distance between the sun and Earth is a one, then you can look at all of the other planets, and it's pretty much each planet is twice as far away from the sun as the planet before it. Oh, Okay. So Mar- uh, Earth is twice as far away. Oh, sorry, Venus is twice as far away as Mercury. Earth is twice as far away as Venus. But Mars is four times the distance from Earth. No, sorry, I got it backwards. Oh, I'm stupid. I am so stupid. Everyone a- on, on the internet right now listening is like, Rob, you're a dunce, man. What are you talking about? I, <laughs> I, I am an idiot. I really am. I really am. Mars is next. The asteroid belt is outside of Mars. <laughs> Mr. Smarty Pants, me. Yeah, I got it wrong. Okay. Well, see, I Sorry, didn't, wouldn't have even consider the asteroid belts, but I do care about the asteroid belts. I, I mean, I, I love them too. I, I'm thankful for them on Thanksgiving as well, but I, I just think of the solar system as our planets, plus maybe True. the sun. But if we're talking about planets and we're talking about the positions of the planets, we have to embarrass Dr. Carter, who shows he doesn't know what he's talking about. And, um, <laughs> We have to realize that there is a regular order to the distances. It's related to 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64. Huh. That's Earth, Mars, Ceres, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus. Interesting. Pluto is 128. Eris is 256. Sedna is 2048 times the distance. There's a very regular doubling of all these large solar system objects. It's called Bode's Law. Now, it's not a law. And there are explanations theoretically, but I don't think anyone's really solved it. It's just weird. And if you apply that law, you'll notice that there should be a planet between Mars and Jupiter. And that's where the asteroid belt is. Okay. That's wow. that's the void it fills then. Hmm. Yes. Now people say, oh, there used to be a planet and it got destroyed. And what we're seeing is the pieces. Uh, except, well, uh-huh. yeah. Except, okay, but. If you destroy a planet, most of it would fall into the sun. Okay, that's why there's not that much there. There's a lot of asteroids, but there's not a lot of mass in the asteroid belt. Falling into the sun or... Yeah, mm, and, okay. and those asteroids have very different compositions too. It's not like it, it, they don't look like they form from one body. Oh, okay. Huh. So how do you explain something like an asteroid belt anyway? Because where did it come from? And why is it a belt? Like, why is it not an asteroid field that just is kind of meandering in no particular direction just kind of stagnant in space or no it can't be that it would fall into the sun it has to be orbiting 
Each of the okay. little planetesimals has to orbit, but they don't have to orbit in the axis of the solar system. They could go up and down, left and right, backwards, whatever. Right? It could be a, a shell of things orbiting in all random directions. Right. Okay. Except they would annihilate each other. And because of the constant tugging of the other planets, the other planets will tend to get all the other random orbit things aligned with the planets. I mean, Jupiter is a giant shepherd. Jupiter moves things in the solar system. And if you're trying to orbit perpendicular to Jupiter, it's going to constantly pull you into line behind it. So you can't have a shell of random orientation objects if you have large planets. Okay, that makes sense. They're kind of excluded. All right, so after messing up the order, <laughs> let's go backwards and let's talk about the weirdness of Mars. Mars, of course, that comes right after Earth. What's the weirdest thing you can think of about Mars? Oh, well, uh, one thing that I've heard was that sound sounds differently on Mars than it would on Earth. It'll be very different because it's hardly any atmosphere, yes. Mm -hmm. Another th idea that you tossed out once when we happened to be mentioning Mars in passing was we were, I think we were talking about gravity. And you pointed out that on Mars, given the way that they would have like a storm or a sandstorm and throw debris around, that the debris, if it were to run into you, wouldn't have the impact yeah. of, with the same velocity as it does on Earth. No, yeah, there's there's no air to push large objects with any force on Mars. We see extremely fine dust particles. Okay, but can I take a wild guess, uh, but an educated guess? Okay. I would guess that most people would say that Mars looks like it has had water. Yes. And now, obviously, it doesn't. Biggest. That would be the biggest mystery. Biggest mystery. It is obviously shaped by water. I mean, obvious. There are sedimentary rocks. There are canyons. There are, you know, all this evidence that Mars was shaped by water. The Valles Marineris on Mars. Marineris. Is many times larger than Grand Canyon. And the topography of Mars is weird. The, the southern half of the, of the planet is at a higher elevation than the northern half. And this valley looks like it drained the southern half into the northern half. It's just, it's just bizarre. And it's, it is huge and obviously carved by water. There's lots and lots of water features on Mars, but Mars has no water. There's reasons for this. One is that the gravity on Mars isn't large enough to hold water down. It'll drift off into space. I mean, Earth, does we, we lose hydrogen and helium on Earth, and some water vapor also, because our gravity is strong enough to hold those things down consistently. They go slowly, but they do eventually disappear. But Mars doesn't have enough gravity to hold down water. It'll out into space. The second thing is that without an atmosphere, the sunlight, the ultraviolet light in space, is strong enough to rip water molecules apart. It turns them into hydrogen and oxygen. So any water exposed on the surface of Mars will be obliterated by the sunlight, or it'll evaporate off the surface. Fine. So everyone is saying, oh yeah, three billion years ago, water, uh, Mars was watery. But you don't know that. All you know is it used to be watery and now it's not. I think that it would, might even sublimate. It might boil at that low pressure. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it would. You, have you ever seen those, those kids' toys? It's a glass vial with liquid in it and you, you hold it and it boils in your hand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because of very low pressure inside the glass vial that's sealed, and therefore the boiling point is much lower. Same thing here. Uh, I think the water would just boil away. 
That would be an interesting thing to know. I'm, I'm going to look that up. What's the boil? What's the atmospheric pressure on Mars? What would be the boiling point? And if the sunlight shines on it, it would have been like an ocean of boiling water. That would be cool. But if there's water vapor there, that means it would have higher atmospheric pressure. But still, that would be an interesting. I bet someone could calculate that. Huh. Well, then along this line, if you had Mars brand new, covered in water, at least having oceans, is there any way to have a, an idea of how much time it takes for the water to evaporate? Yeah, that, that's, that was, that's a question that I would like to know. Yeah. And I'm sure someone can calculate it. That would be cool. So we don't necessarily know the volume, but if we said if the volume was A, then it would take this much time. And if the volume was B, then we know it would take X amount of time. Yes. That would be interesting. Yes. All right. So, hey, maybe one of our, our listeners knows enough calculus to be able to do that. <laughs> All right, so let's leave Mars behind, right? Mars is weird enough. Let's skip over the asteroid belt because we just covered that because I got them backwards. The next one, Jupiter. First of all, Jupiter's too big. It's very far away from the sun. In any sort of a, um, a gaseous cloud spinning to form the sun and the planets, the more mass should be closer to the sun. But Jupiter's pretty far away. It's more massive than all the inner planets all put together. So that's mystery number one. But mystery number two is a rotational kinetic energy of Jupiter. It has more than half of the spin of the solar system all by itself. So you mean that as it's just turning and churning all those storms on it, it's moving that much faster. That and it's orbiting. (laughs) The amount of energy in its spin and its orbit is greater than or about half that of the spin of the sun. Jupiter has more than half of all the oomph in the solar system. Interesting. So was maybe Jupiter formed its own little proto disk and it couldn't it wasn't big enough to become a sun but it's it was somewhere else in the in the in the universe and it, it migrated close to the sun and got captured by the sun now it's orbiting the sun but it was really its own thing maybe oh well, yeah maybe you can be as speculative as you want but if if the sun had captured Jupiter why isn't Jupiter such a nice circular orbit and how did the other planets survive the capture of Jupiter when Jupiter moves everything Jupiter moves the sun Literally, if you if you look at where the sun is at, you know, exactly at noon on this day, one year later, you would expect the sun to be in exactly the same place again, except it won't be because the position of Jupiter will move the sun to the left and to the right. So if Jupiter is in the is in the west, the sun will be to our right. If Jupiter is in the east, the sun will be to our left. It actually moves. It wiggles in the sky more than the width of the sun. It doesn't sound like a big deal. But that means you can't calculate sunset. I mean, the width of the sun is half a degree. There's, you know, it takes time for the sun to move a half a degree. So you can't say it will, sunset will be at 553 and 12 seconds next year. It won't be. It'll be a different time because you have to factor in the position of Jupiter. So Jupiter's weird. It's got too much rotational kinetic energy and too much mass. And yet there it is. Huh. Cool, huh? That is, yeah, very peculiar. Jupiter impresses me yet again. I remember just being fascinated by its insane size. It's incredible. The fact that Galileo with his primitive telescope noticed that it was flattened from top to bottom because it was spinning so fast. It's not round. It's oval to our eyes. It's extended at the equator because it's literally being squished top to bottom by the spin. And he noticed that. My telescope I have, which I had out last week, all the neighborhood kids are coming by, we looked at... 
Jupiter and we looked at Saturn again. Um, I couldn't tell that it was squished, but he could back hundreds of years ago. Crazy. All right. So that's all. That's my, my weirdest facts about Jupiter. Okay. Next is Saturn. The weirdest fact about Saturn is the obvious thing about Saturn. What's the most obvious thing about Saturn? The rings. <laughs> the rings. The rings are incredible. Which are self-destructing. Mm. We can now measure the amount of material falling into Saturn from the rings. The rings are not billions of years old. Period. Oh, huh. They're not. Now, I don't know how old the rings are because I don't know how much mass it started with and I don't know how they formed. But they are not millions of years old let alone billions. I bet they're not even hundreds of thousands of years old at maximum. Yeah, because basically with all the material there, even though we're not, we can't be positive about an exact amount of years or even a, no. a give or take a million or hundreds of million. Yeah, you can't know. It's just impossible for billions. Okay. It's, yeah, it's impossible for vast periods of time. Those rings did not exist if the universe is as old as secular uh, evolutionary uh, astronomers want to say. So I'm not saying this is proof that the universe is young. I'm just saying it's proof that the rings are not old. Yeah, but it's... The universe is young. We can go to the magnetic field of Mercury. That's a good evidence right there. But as far as the rings of Saturn, if the universe is millions or billions of years old, they did not exist millions or billions of years ago. So if a dinosaur invented a telescope, there would be no rings on Saturn. Right. Now, granted, I don't think dinosaurs were millions of years ago, but fine. You know, given that scenario, the rings are young, and that's just strange. Was there a moon of Saturn that got obliterated? Then why didn't the other moons get obliterated? Was there, you know, did it capture a bunch of dust, and why didn't all the other planets capture dust? Et cetera, et cetera. There's not really any good explanation of where the ring came from. But when you look at the fine detail, you know, each gap in the ring there's a gap there because there's a moon that orbits in that gap. We guessed that before we even found the moons. And when we zoom up on those moons, you can see undulations in the ring huh. because of the gravitational attraction of that little teeny moonlet. Pan is one of them. That's a couple of other ones that's just orbiting in that little gap and it's making the wings, the, the rings wiggle. It's cool. I love Saturn. My, my daughter, she wants to go to Saturn. She loves Saturn. She wants to know everything about Saturn. She just doesn't quite realize that it's Bode's Law. Uh, it's at 32. Mars is only four times. Saturn is 32 times the distance. It's really far away. The fact that we can see it with the naked eye is only because it's so big. Wow. <laughs> so speaking of the Saturn ring, or rings. Yes. In a lot of science fiction art, they like to play with how many rings a planet can have. Yes. There's some pretty fun things they do. Is it even conceivable? Have we come across another planet with a crisscrossing a, another ring or anything like that? Or basically, do all planets with rings end up like Saturn's? I'm going to say because of gravitational forces, you cannot get a ring except a ring that's lined up with the equator of the planet. Okay. It would be impossible. <laughs> Very interesting question. I mean, temporarily, you could have it, but it wouldn't last. Very interesting question. Hmm. All right, so let's go one more out from Saturn. What's next? My very educated mother just served us. Uranus. Yes, Uranus. This is the most mysterious and most bizarrest and weirdest planet in the solar system. Right. That is saying a lot. Speaking of which, though, before we can move on to Uranus, 
What do you know about the hexagon on the top of Saturn? Is it Saturn that has the hexagon? Oh, I love that. What a cool thing. Yeah. It just it just so happens that at a certain distance from the north, probably South Pole too. Yes, I think South Pole too. At a certain distance, there's an oscillation. The winds are going at just the right speed that it sets up a harmonic five-fold wave that oh. makes a pentagon. It's, it's literally it's humming in a pentagon. Totally cool. Totally amazing. Love it. Yeah. And when I, when I first saw it, my mouth fell open. I was like, that is so cool. Right. So any of our listeners who haven't seen this, if you get nothing else out of our show, it is one of the most fascinating things. No doubt. We'll find a picture and put it in the show notes. Good, good one. Mm-hmm. When you see the thing, it doesn't look like it could be anything but technology created. You'd think that some civilization on the North Pole of Mars had created the thing, but it's not. And, and what, why it looks so peculiar is that it's a hexagon. It's a, wow. How does that happen? Anyway. Very curious. Nice to know that even nature, though, can cause something that unusual. Yeah, it's, wow. it's beautiful. I'll tell you what, looking at the swirling patterns of the gas giant planets, especially Jupiter and Saturn, from modern satellites to close-up pictures, they are absolutely mesmerizing. I could stare at those patterns for minutes. I say hours, that'd be really ridiculous. But I have, I have literally sat and stared at them because they're so beautiful and so weird and so incredibly deadly. I mean, it's something no human will ever touch or never experience. All right, so what is one out from Saturn? Well, that takes us back to Uranus. Yeah, back to yeah. Uranus. Uranus, I said... Venus is orbiting the wrong direction. Sorry, it's rotating the wrong direction. Right. So if the North Pole of Venus is up, it's going backwards. Well, the North Pole of Mercury, the North Pole of Earth, the North Pole of Mars, the North Pole of Jupiter, and the North Pole of Saturn are all pointing in the same direction. Uranus is lying on its side. <laughs> that is pretty different. The North Pole is at almost 90 degree angles to the other planets. What? Speaking of which, would that sort of thing gradually change over time? Uh, kind of like fall in step given enough hundreds of millions of years or something like that? Uh, no, it's too extreme. Now, the Earth does wobble because we have mountains and etc. So our, our North Star is not always the North Star. We process, we wiggle. The, 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 the axis of the Earth, it wobbles a little bit. And that's probably true of all the other planets also. But you can't turn a giant gyroscope, and literally, as a planet-sized gyroscope, you can't turn it on its side. It would blow up. The strain and the forces are such that the planet would come apart, because it's not solid. It's held together by gravity. If you tried to grab the planet and turn it, it would explode. I mean, literally, it would explode, because everything would try to keep on turning in the same direction they're turning, and the forces necessary to, to turn it over are unimaginable. So a giant asteroid or another planet did not hit Uranus and knock it on its side. It didn't happen that way. It had to have formed on its side. Or some very strange lumpy thing in it, and it caused a gravitational disturbance to cause it to oscillate so wildly it finally settled down on its side. But Uranus's orbit is one of the most circular of all the other planets. If it got disturbed enough to turn sideways, you wouldn't expect it to have maintained an almost perfectly circular orbit. No. Huh. Not at all. And it, its day 
is the length of its year. That is awesome. It's not like the North Pole is pointing at the sun and the North Pole is always pointing at the sun. No, 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 no. The North Pole is pointing somewhere in space. And as it rotates around the sun, sometimes the sun is shining from the side. Sometimes the sun is shining at the North Pole. Sometimes it's shining at the other side. Sometimes it's shining at the South Pole. And it has rings. We didn't know this until we sent, I think, it was the Voyager probes. Now, Galileo... When he pointed his telescope at this planet, he never would have seen rings because the rings were edge on to the sun in his day. But when we, when we sent up what I think is the Voyager, they were face on. And so it said, hey, this planet has rings. Cool. They're not, they're not nearly as extreme as Saturn's rings, but they're there. And they orbit the equator of the planet. So sometimes they're reflecting the sun's light and sometimes they're perpendicular to the sun's light. Cool. What a bizarre planet. Another thing, and this just applies to uh, Neptune, Uranus, and Saturn. These are pretty massive objects very far out in the solar system. You would expect the mass to be concentrated around the sun, and it's not. And so it's, this is a big mystery. So people say, oh, planetary migration theory. Some planets move outward, some planets move inwards. Okay, it's a theory. There's not really a good reason for it. It's just, you know, I, I honestly, I get the, I get the feeling it's, it's just ad hoc explanations. Now, I know the physicists be like, oh, that's not true. We got good reasons for this, blah, blah, blah. But it just, it just seems like no one ever would have predicted what we're actually seeing. And therefore, well, we know it's billions of years old. We know it formed from a cloud of gas. So therefore, we have to explain it this way. And I think they're really struggling. Wow. <laughs> For Neptune, I don't ha I don't know enough about Neptune to know how it's weird, but the coolest thing about Neptune is the way it was discovered. Well, and it's also a beautiful shade of blue. Yeah, it's beautiful. But we talked about this a long time ago. Might have been in episode number one of Equinox of the discovery of Neptune. Because you can't see it with the naked eye. But once they had developed gravity theory through Newton, people plotting the, the course of these planets... And they noticed some discrepancies. And I said, you know, this doesn't make sense. There's, there's, there's got to be another planet. And the British Observatory blew it. They should have found it, but they didn't. I don't remember the man's name at the moment, but he wrote a letter to the Berlin Observatory. And he said, point your telescope there. And that night they did. And Neptune was discovered that night. It's one of the greatest scientific confirmations ever made. They, they literally found an invisible planet from the theory of gravity. And there it is. This is really cool. Yeah. Well, there's there's one other thing I could mention about Neptune oh, that please, I remember what? from science class. Yeah. Is that it has the dark spot. It looks like a bruise on the side. Yes. Yes. Very much like a Jupiter spot. It's a giant storm. But again, I think we can explain that with standard physics. But, but it is beautiful and it's cool and it's weird. Well, it is weird to me because... Storms of Earth, even Mars, right? They they come and they go. Yes. But this is a storm that is perpetuated, right? It's just there. Well, same as a giant red spot on, on Jupiter. Mm -hmm. The issue is there's not enough energy for that storm. It's too far away from the sun to have significant heat energy. And whoa, oh, I forgot this. One of these planets is radiating more heat than it's receiving. Oh, that's Neptune. It might be Neptune. I just That's a vague thing that just jumped into my head that I learned a long time ago. No, that's true. Yeah, it's and Neptune. It can't be from radioactive materials because, first of all, you're not supposed to get heavy elements that far out. 
Second of all, it doesn't have enough mass to have been burning for billions of years with radioactivity. And therefore, it's a giant mystery why it's radiating heat. Cool. Good call, man. I'm glad you remembered that. I really enjoyed the solar system when I was going through sciences. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right. So what's on the outside of Neptune? Well, nothing. That brings us to the end of the solar system, right? Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) R.I.P. little Pluto. R.I.P. (laughs) Actually, it couldn't be further from the truth. I love Pluto. I love Pluto too. I I, I can't understand anyone who in their right mind or on a bad day would say that a once declared planet is no longer a planet. Rob, what is going on here? There were reasons for this. It's actually, it turns out to be very difficult to define what a planet is. I would have said if it's large enough to be a sphere, So asteroids aren't spherical, they're lumpy, because their gravitation is not strong enough to squish everything into a sphere. The problem is Ceres is a sphere, and there are other uh, solar system objects that are big enough to be a sphere, so that's not the answer. Uh, one One part of the definition of what a planet is, is it's large enough to have swept out its own orbit. So there aren't co-orbiting things orbiting with it. So anything in the asteroid belt, of course, would be excluded from that definition because they're all orbiting together. They're co-orbiting. The thing is, there are things that are orbiting co-with Earth. At certain positions in our orbit, it's like a collection of rocks, like one third of the way one way and one third of the way in the other direction. So if we haven't swept out our orbit, then obviously we're not a planet either, right? Well, not really. There's just more things in the Plutonian system that can't be explained. And plus, it's not orbiting with the normal axis. It's tilted, man. It's way off. It's flying way up in the sky and then dipping down below the, the plane of the solar system again. Really? So it's not lined up with the other planets. Uh-huh. But it's got moons, man. Right. It's got multiple moons. It looks like a planet. If you're looking at it from a distance, hey, if we were standing on it, it would look like a planet. I mean, it, would you be able to see the curvature a whole lot better looking at the horizon? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's small. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. tiny. Definitely, you'd be able to see the curvature a lot more. There won't be any flat Earth arguments about Pluto. It's a planet for ants. <laughs> <laughs> but the ratio between the planet and its moon is smaller than for any other uh, planet in the solar system. Its moon, Charon, is massive compared to the size of Pluto. I think, if I remember, that the barycenter, the, the, um, the center of mass, the, the place upon which both of the things orbit, I think is actually outside of Pluto. So the, the moon causes the Earth to wobble because as it goes around us, it pulls us around. It pulls us toward the moon constantly. So we wobble toward the moon all the time. We're always moving towards the moon. But the center of movement is inside the Earth. I think... Pluto and Charon are doing a giant dosi do So if you looked at the orbit of Pluto, it would make like a spirograph pattern. That's it would make loops. And the loops are larger than the diameter of the planet. Yeah, that is pretty odd. But that's not the weirdest thing about Pluto. The strangest thing about Pluto is the large area of Pluto that is devoid of comet or asteroid impacts. So that area would just be smooth. Smooth. And that, we just discovered that a couple of years ago. And it literally was like, what on Earth? Or what not on Earth? Huh? Um, I mean, every other body in the solar system has been peppered with asteroids. Look at our moon. Look at Mercury. Look at Mars. Look at Earth. It's peppered. I mean, there's holes all over the place. 
but there are large air one particularly large area of Pluto that has none. So either it has been resurfaced recently, which means it's geologically active, which makes no sense because it's tiny, can't hold heat, is incredibly far away from the sun. How can a thing be geologically active or it's young? Neither of those conclusions are acceptable to the secular astronomers and, and the, the community. And so Pluto is actually a stick in the eye to the millions of years concept. Now, perhaps there will be an answer someday. I understand there, you know, people working really hard, real smart people, people a lot smarter than me are working on answers to these things. And every once in a while, they'll come up with something and we say, oh, okay, you know what? That's not a good answer anymore. Like the old, um, uh, the dust on the moon argument is literally an argument we can't use anymore. It's just, it's just not true. Back in the day, they said, oh, if the moon is billions of years old, there should be, you know, hundreds of feet of dust accumulated on the surface of the moon. That's why the Apollo landers had those big old fat pads on their feet. Because Isaac Asimov, the, um, the science fiction writer, he said, hey, boys, uh, you're going to sink in the dust. You better put these big flat things on there. And then actually when we landed, we went clong. There wasn't a bunch of dust on the moon. Yeah. And so a lot of the creationists said, see that? The moon isn't billions of years old. It's a great evidence of the young universe. But since the Apollo era, we left particle counters on the moon. So every time a particle of dust hits one of these things, it goes ping and sends a little radio signal back to Earth. And we can count the particles striking the moon, and it's a whole lot lower than we expected. Therefore, the dust on the thickness of the dust on the moon doesn't tell us anything. It tells us today it's accumulating extremely slowly. I mean, orders of magnitude more slowly than we thought. But we don't know what it would have been like in the past. We don't know how much dust might have been floating around at creation. We don't know how much dust would have been floating around in an evolutionary scenario. We would expect a lot less now because the solar wind would sweep it away. Planets would suck it up. The, the, the sun would suck some of it up. But the uh, dust and the moon argument is basically gone. We should not be using it. All right. So those are the planets. There's a couple of solar system oddities that I wanted to discuss before we go. Well, I have one other question too. Oh, sure. What? Growing up, again, around the time that I was going through my favorite science class, okay, um, my teacher actually formerly had worked at NASA, great guy. And it inspired me to go to the library and pick up every book that I could about planets. And the only one that I read from cover to cover was about a hypothetical, hypothetical planet X. So this would have been in the late 90s. And supposedly there was... Yeah. A reason There's enough to have a conspiracy. About various planet X's, yes. Mm -hmm. So th this is the idea that there is gravitational forces beyond the planet Pluto of a yes. huge size that are affecting things closer in, you know, even maybe Jupiter and Neptune. The reason Clyde Tombaugh found Pluto is because he was he knew that there were gravitational anomalies. And so he was looking through that area and he says, Oh, there's a planet we've all been looking for. The problem is Pluto is not massive enough to explain the gravitational anomalies. So ever since the discovery of Pluto, people have still been looking for more planets, but we haven't found any more. A couple of years ago, someone postulated that there must be a call it Nibiru. I don't know what you're going to call it. Planet X. I don't know what, it, what they called it. But they said there must be another very large planet that's very far away. And yet every once in a while it comes in close. Because some of the outer planets have a strange resonance where their orbits are like in sync, but they should not be in sync. And the only way for them to be in sync is if every once in a while, like a clock, their orbits are perturbed in exactly the right way by a large object that then goes way far away from the sun again. Again, 
totally speculative. It's possibly true, but that would mean that that would mean a lot of things. It it it, it doesn't have to be there. But if if we have to explain the planets using nothing but gravity, then this thing must be out there. But if God created planets and let go, then anything could be true. We don't need another extra planet to explain the strange orbital resonances. Fair enough? Yeah. Okay. Hey, do you know what huh. Vulcan is? Well, that's a planet in Star Trek. It's a planet ex- on exactly the other side of the sun as Earth. <laughs> Why? No. That's where it came from. The idea that there was a hidden planet on the other side of the sun that we'll never be able to see. Oh, that's awesome. That, no, that would be mysterious. There was a sci-fi movie, you know, back in probably 50s or early 60s, of a, an astronaut, and they sent him on a trip around the sun. And he got back in six months, and he got in trouble. And they're like, "How you turned around, you chickened out, you ran away, you came home too early. He's like, no, 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 no. And he couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And the last scene, he's looking at the reflection of a, like an aftershave bottle in his mirror at home, and he can read it in the mirror. And he turns around and he looks at it and he sees the words are backwards in real (laughs) when he's not looking at it in the mirror. And he realized he had come to the altar earth. Oh, (laughs) he had made it halfway around and landed on what he thought was earth, but he was on the other side of the sun. It's a silly story, but it was a, it was a neat twist on a, on a a sci-fi movie. All right. So planet X's and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. They're out there and there, there are still some, missing gravitational pull that we cannot yet explain. That's just a cool thing. Maybe one day we'll figure it out. I would really like to know before I die. I would love to know what that other gravitational force is. Well, that's a strange thing to wish for before one dies. Okay, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've really thought about this. I want to know. Okay, I do too. But it might be so far away that it doesn't come back within a single lifetime. Mm. Wow. Okay, another mystery. Short period comets, Halley's Comet. Comets with a period of less than 100 years are called short period comets. They don't go way out to the so-called Oort cloud. They actually orbit within the normal part of the solar system. They go way out, you know, Neptune, maybe Pluto distance, and they come back again. They have an orbit of less than 100 years. They burn up very quickly. The reason we see comet trails is because they're burning up as they get close to the sun. We saw a comet Shoemaker-Levy disintegrate and then slam into into Jupiter. We saw that not too many years ago. So short period comets have a lifetime and it's not a long lifetime. How do they exist? Giant mystery. Now maybe there is an Oort cloud out there of comets or cometissimals that that some maybe on planet X uh, ruins their orbit and it falls in toward the sun. But if they did that, they wouldn't have a stable elliptical orbit. If you come from far away and you fall toward the sun and go around the sun, guess what? You're going to go back out to the same distance you started with. You're not going to only go out to Neptune and then turn around again. You can't disturb very distant objects and get them to make a short period comet orbit. And so, giant mystery. Either the solar system isn't that old and the comets are thousands of years old and the reason they're not burned up is because they're not millions of years old or some very mysterious thing is happening to produce comets that we see today. They should not be there. Another giant mystery is how planets form. I mean, forget the, the, the stars from collapsing clouds of gas problem. That's another problem. Right. But planets from dust should not exist. Dust particles are moving. And they move fast as they orbit. And when they run into each other, they tend to obliterate each other. And the gravitational attraction between two pieces of dust is almost 
nothing. They're not going to stick together. Now, maybe there'll be some electrostatic stuff, maybe, you know, static charges that'll make them stick. Okay, maybe. But then the next particle that hits them is going to break that static cling. Once we have a lump of dirt about a kilometer in diameter, it can start growing. If you have little teeny dust particles, you can start accumulating things maybe to the size of 10 centimeters, maybe if you're lucky. There's a gap in between the largest pebble and the smallest planet, and physics cannot bridge that gap. Oh. Planets should never form. Grains of dust get blown out of the solar system by the solar wind, or they get sucked into the sun because of gravity. Grains of dust don't orbit stars. How do we get planets to form? What a cool question. Mystery for the ages. We don't know the answer. It's especially complicated because like you were saying about the extrasolar planets, that there's a lot more of them that we've charted than we would have expected, or at least I would have. Yeah. Over, what'd you say, over 4,000? Yeah. Essentially, most stars have planets. What? Most stars have planets? We can't explain how planets form. That seems so very unlikely. And most stars have them. Mm -hmm. All right, another giant mystery is called the faint young sun paradox. You see, according to stellar evolutionary theories, stars get brighter as they age. At least our type of star gets brighter, gets hotter as it ages. So back in evolutionary history, you know, 2 billion years ago, 3 billion years ago, the sun would have been like 25 or 30% more dim. The earth would have been one frozen block of ice there would have been no liquid water how did life start <laughs> how did it yeah great question isn't it oh well, maybe earth migrated maybe it was closer in you know 10 percent closer than it is now okay yeah sure maybe but how do you migrate a planet and if planets can migrate how the how come the planets today have such stable orbits mysteries things we can't answer Maybe math one day will, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm happy with the fact that these things don't make any sense. Okay, my last mystery. When we look at other solar systems, they're all random. There's no rhyme or reason to solar systems around stars. Right. Our solar system defies explanation. The planets are not where they're supposed to be. The mass is not where it's supposed to be. The rotational kinetic energy is not where it's supposed to be. And on and on and on. It's, it's as if God put random things in our solar system and said, hey, guys, try to explain that. And now he's laughing at us. And when we look at other solar systems, it's not like, oh, yeah, all the planets that are closer to the star are like this and all the planets further away are like that. It's not that way at all. It's just totally bizarre. As if God loves not chaos, but God loves variety. Exactly. And he created all these different solar systems. Just have fun with it. Hey guys, check this out. And he makes one with 50 planets. He makes one with one planet. He makes one with you know a giant planet that's almost a star, but not quite a star. And it's orbiting around a brown dwarf or something like that. I mean, just it's it's like there's no rule. It's every single possible combination is there. And if, as we look, we just keep on finding random things. So that's my final mystery, not really of this solar system necessarily, but my final mystery is how come there's no easy rule that we can use to explain planets? The solar system itself is a mystery. Yes. It really is incredible. It's so vast and huge and various. It's really fun. You can see where a lot of sci-fi got its inspiration. All you got to do is look up at the night sky or look through a telescope. We have great astronomers and with names like Galileo, you know, just a interesting name. Yeah. Oh, 
You want to wrap up? Oh, there? we could keep on going, but I, I think I think we should can it for there. If we're going to keep on, yeah, doing episodes about the length we normally do, this one is probably longer than normal. A little um, bit, but that's okay. I, I I enjoy just you know waxing eloquent on the cool weirdness <laughs> around us. So thank you everybody for joining us on this quest. If you found this episode interesting in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or a family member. And if you want to dig deeper into the topic of the solar system, you can find links to the stuff that Rob introduced in the show notes on our website. They're available at nightowl.fm slash equinox slash 37. The show notes are also available with this episode if you're subscribed to the show in an app on your phone. And you should also check out Biblical Genetics, where Rob is working really hard to make those videos in the park. Uh, Biblical Genetics is also available on Facebook and YouTube, where you can watch the videos and join discussions in the comments. And if you want to find me, I'm at JCS Darnell on Twitter. Or take a listen to my other podcast, Hi-Fi, if you're interested in technology and user experience. That's available at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi. Until next time, goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Joe. You have been listening to Equinox.